Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, we have Christian Wickland, founder and CEO of Unit Q. In this episode, we talked about the huge importance of monitoring the quality of your product, what led Christian to build Unit Q, and how they help companies improve retention, growth, and engagement. We also discussed how data silos across departments slow things down and how companies need cross-functional data on demand. Christian then talks about million-dollar bugs, how we measure product quality, and how online reviews can make or break your business. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode, and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Christian, welcome to the show. Happy to be here, Andrew. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. For the listeners, Christian is the founder and CEO of UnitQ, a product quality monitoring platform. Christian started his career in engineering at VMware before later founding Scout that was acquired by the public market leader and people discovery, the Meet Group. So my first question for you, Christian, is what is a product quality monitoring platform and why did you decide to build the company? Great questions. Product quality monitoring platform is a tool that allows you to listen in to signals that your user base are giving you. And in this case, it is user feedback. And the way you have monitoring and observability in the stack, let's say when you monitor machine data, you will have a data dog, maybe a splice, maybe a signal FX. Then you travel up one step further in the stack and you get to the client. So the binary is run running on, on all these different devices out there, your iPhone and your Android device. There you most likely also have some monitoring solution in place, like an app dynamics or a new relic, maybe a crash analytics or a bug snag. And that's all great. And there is a reason why the industry has instrumented and created observability for machine data. And that's because change and bugs happens all the time. And we need to understand if certain metrics and exceptions and stuff are popping up that we need to address. And what we found is that the surface layer of the stack, which is how the product manifests itself. So as your user base are using your beloved product every day, and they encounter certain issues that gets in their way that we call quality issues. And a quality issue is really the, the delta in between the user expectation and the user experience. So a quality issue can be uh, functional that, hey, I can't use this feature, I couldn't log in. It can be usability uh, related. So it can be like, hey, that's too hard to use or missing a feature. 
or the app is too slow, or it's starting to fill up my SD card. And then it can also be like delights, like how do we delight users or if there's any discrepancy. And the reason we built this platform is that me and my co-founder, we used to be in the consumer space, as you mentioned. So we built a product called Scout and uh, Scout had over the years, hundreds of millions of installs and a very active user base. And the challenge we had with Scout was that we supported 25 languages. We supported Android, iOS, web, mobile web, big screen support, like an iPad, small screen support, of course, like your phone. And we also had 20 plus integrations into this product. So that can be authentication SDKs, ad SDKs, analytics, and all of these different dimensions are subject to change on a continuous basis because we as a company want to stay agile. We want to ship code as frequently as we can. We're not shipping boxed software anymore, right? We're, we're actually have the CICD type environment where the lines between production and pre-production is very much blurred. And our partners are all shipping code on a continuous basis. And you layer in other external factors like you may be on 3G and then it goes to Wi-Fi and you may be in a place where SSL is not allowed, like a public Wi-Fi place and so forth. And what we found was that the surface layer to test the product and make sure that it works as it should for all different flavors of configurations was basically impossible. There was no way for us to test every Android device on every different language and every different flavor of, of operating system and so forth. And the cool part here is that what we discovered that the, there's one entity out there that's testing your product in every configuration every day, and that is the user base. And your user base who love your product will also tell you in many different channels where your product needs some love. So they're generating this unstructured data, user feedback. They leave app reviews. They, they tweet about your product. They email support. They, maybe they engage with your chatbot, your support chatbot, and you have user surveys and so forth. And what we found was that if you could harness the power of all this unstructured data, it's literally like a gold mine. And if you can extract signals from there to say like, hey, uh, password reset link just broke. And if you can get that data in a timely manner to the right people inside of your company, then they will be able to uh, fix it faster. And Andrew, we had so many of these bugs that were out in production for months that we were not aware of. I'll, I'll give you one example. We had in Polish language on Android, longitude latitude was passed in some special format. And that crashed the parser for our app. And as a location-based service, we ask for location every time you open the app, which basically rendered the Android app for Polish-speaking users useless for months. And we discovered this in app reviews way too late. So we started obsessing over, over bugs and quality at Scout. Like we could literally find these million-dollar bugs. And, and that's when we sold the company. We said, hey, someone needs to build the quality company. And that's what we're doing here. Very cool. And good as well. Like we, we chatted a little bit before, like founder... Uh, market fits as well, like having faced the problem previously, having seen the opportunity and then going off and deciding to build a new company in the space is always like a fantastic place to start. Uh, and I do definitely see as well where you're coming from with this in the sense that like previously as well, uh, coming from Hotjar, analytics and feedback company, really like pushing the big narrative and something I'm a very strong believer of is like having the what's and the why. Like as you mentioned, you have your analytics stack and uh, your data can tell you what's happening, but a lot of times it can't tell you why it's happening. And uh, as you said, you can see the end reflects and churn, but knowing the reasons why or what was the bug or what is the experience that's causing uh, specific behaviors is gold. But 
like most organizations today, this information is scattered. It's not very valuable and, uh, it's typically quite hard to take unstructured data and give it structure and give it meaning. So it, it really caught it's, my attention as well. Uh, unit Q, like putting a quality score to things as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you're touching on something very interesting here, which is, and we face this continuously on the, on sort of the engagement, the metrics analytics side of the house. We have, we had two PhDs, we had five data pipeline engineers and a product manager who built in addition to, we use Mixpanel, but in, in addition to that, we had this really cool BI engine where we put Tableau on top of it and we can then follow and see, hey, how is second day return rate trending throughout all these different dimensions? Like for Japanese iOS users, like how, how does it look and what's going on there? And and even there, like it's hard to, to sometimes find where you may have suboptimal changes on a holistic level, maybe your secondary retention went up, but maybe it took a dive in, in, in a segment. And so we were continuously looking at this data and then we would find stuff like, wait a minute, why, why is secondary retention for Spanish speaking users across the board? Why has that fallen off the cliff? And then we would tell the engineers like, Hey, something changed. And you would always have this back and forth of, okay. What's going on here? Let's test it. You know, let's test the product in Spanish. And then you have two days of testing and they come back and say, it works for me. I, I can't find what would possibly be wrong. And that's where we anchored it back to user feedback. So if we, you can actually find out what are the, there must be someone in uh, speaking Spanish using our product who's leaving feedback somewhere. Now the issue there was the support team, they were dealing with tickets and they were sitting in the data silo. Like they had all the tickets and their job is to solve issues for uh, users and deflect tickets within a certain number of hours and then get the good CSAT score when they're done. The marketing team, I went to them and said, Hey, do you know what's going on? And they're of course tasked with looking at social media. They're looking at maybe the app store reviews and so forth. And then they synthesize their data. Then I go to the product team and say, Hey, do you have any data from surveys or anything that can help us figure out what's going on? And so the data silos there slowed us down like crazy. And so to aggregate all of that in one place was the first thing we did with Unity. And even basic features like translation. So that's something that our customers love that we translate all of the data. And it was a bit surprising to me when we started this company that even some very well-known, big, iconic, like consumer companies out there that we work with, they were only looking at user feedback in English. That's 20% of the user base. And, and so translations is there also very important, but you mentioned the, the why and the what, and I think taking the take, can you take uh, qualitative data? So the, all the anecdotes being produced out there by the user base, all this beautiful feedback, can you take this, um, qualitative data and make it quantitative? I think that is the key here that the same way that Datadog will send you anomaly alerts on, on certain exceptions and stuff going on the machines. We want to have the same mechanism for user feedback, just as a signal. So if you were to look at unit Q, what we, what we do is we take user feedback and engagement data. So then as two signals to figure out where the product uh, may be broken. And it's interesting, like the, this activity on you with user feedback is really a, the status quo is manual. Like it's a manual tagging ticket, running reports, having an analyst go out and figure out what's going on. And, we need this data on demand and it needs to be cross-functional so that we all can instantly see, Hey, the equalizer went missing on the Android app. Okay, great. Let's fix it. 
but users reporting that equalizer is that went missing because of some bad merge that um there might be 200 people reporting it out of a data set of 300,000 so like how do you find the needle in the haystack and and that's what we've been obsessing over using machine learning and producing lots of training data to to really find these needles in the haystack and then alerting the companies about it very cool. Yeah, I can definitely see the technical challenges of, of trying to figure that all out, especially with the natural language processing. But I think there's really great advancements as well uh, and some excellence like open source software now that's available and models that you can tap into. But love how uh, you saw this opportunity and uh, bringing it all together now back of the, the past experience. So you mentioned though, like you, you had some like million dollar mistakes, million dollar bugs. Can you talk us through, maybe give us a specific example and how you went about figuring out outside of unit Q and, uh, what were the steps that you took? Yes, I can take them. We can take the, uh, the Polish longitude latitude bug on Android, where we didn't have someone really monitoring the Polish segments of our user base because they were not, um, they were not like, uh, there was maybe. 3% of, of the user base. And it was me who discovered it by, by looking at what is the average app store review by, by language and Polish language had 1.5. And I'm like, that's odd because our app is typically over 4.3. So what is going on there? So I copy and pasted a bunch of these app reviews into Google translate. And then it said, the app crashes at launch, the app crashes at launch. And I'm like, that is weird. That is strange. So then I, I, I emailed Gosha, my head of support, like, Hey, do you see anything about this? And she's like, I found a few tickets and I asked the marketing team, do you see anything? And they're like, yeah, we're seeing some stuff here. And then I'm like, is this an ongoing issue? Is it a new issue? When did it start? So then we had to go out and do data exploration and gathering and produce reports. And we, we finally found uh, that, oh. Yeah. Okay. This is something that's related to the parser. And once we identified that bug, like that parser bug was like a 15 minute fix for one engineer. And, um, the cool part is that once we fixed it, we, the Delta, so this bug was live for six months, I think. And the next, the next six months, we did around 400 K in, uh, in revenue from Poland on Android, but that was like a $800,000 annual bug, if you will. So that we, we call that a million dollar bug. And, and it was through experiences like this, because you know, what, what happens is if you were to look at, at quality of the product and how important it is for, for the product machine. So you have, of course, top of funnel impact of a poor quality product. We're sitting on zoom doing this podcast interview. We're not sitting on go to meeting. And why is that? Is it because go to meeting had features or missing features, or is it that the price was different or what is the reason? And there's so many examples of this where you see it's actually quality of the product. Like Zoom, we're able to come in to a very saturated market going up against Google, Microsoft, Webex, all of these really big companies with lots of resources. And they were able to, I would say, dominate by just providing the best experience. And why is that? It's of course, top of funnel impact. So. As good news spread, not as fast as bad news. So people, they love to talk more about, oh, that was a bad product. So if you have a bad product, it's going to spread faster versus, oh, it's a great product. So we need to make sure that the surface level is, is polished and great. It also manifests itself ratings and reviews and consumers today in any consumer vertical, where you want to download an app, maybe music or 
video conference or, or whatever, you're going to do some research. Like consumers are armed with data and a lot of people won't download the app if you have under a certain star rating. So it's very important to make sure that you don't have a bunch of one star reviews. And what we've seen is that the average, the average quality issue that we find has 1.5 stars. Now there will be some quality issues reported with the five star review. That happens, which is also a reason why star ratings is not uh, a perfect indicator of quality of the product, but the average has 1.5. But more importantly, as you filling the funnel with users is something solvable. If you have the unit economics to actually uh, spend more on marketing and so forth, like attracting users to a sticky product is easier than retaining your user base. So retention is an incredibly important part of any product. And here's where we see quality impact in the product machine. So if you envision, you have this box, it's called the product and you have a product led company, which most modern companies are product led today, right? That the product is the core. If the product works, the company can exist. If the product doesn't work, the company won't exist. So we have this box, it's called the product and we don't really know what's going in on in the product, but there's inputs into the product. We're spending engineering hours, making the product better, new features, whatever. We have user acquisition. So we're spending marketing dollars to get in. There's like everything that's happening in the company goes into the product, feeds the product machine. And then what, what, what comes out of the product machine is hopefully activated users. You have retained users, you have engaged users, and you have, uh, if you have, if you need to convert them into paid, there is some activity that comes out and that revenue and that active user base. You can then reinvest that into the beginning of the product box, uh, product machine. And that's how the, the sort of the, the flywheel or the snowball starts growing faster and faster. Now quality, what we've seen is has the, it almost acts as a filter function on all these conversion metrics and in particular on retention. And so if you take two products, they have exactly the same features, the same marketing, the same everything, but one product has higher quality of the experience that product will win. It's a guarantee because they're not going to lose as much signal in this product machine. So they will be able to then reinvest. They have more money coming out of the machine. They can reinvest more. They can spend more in marketing and it starts growing faster. And eventually they will then suck oxygen out of the market. In particular, if it's a product that's dependent on network effects, then they will see like exponential benefits as they as for each sort of click, they grow faster. So I think like when it comes to building products, you can build new features. That's great. But what about making sure what we have is really solid, that it's great, that our customers love it. And, and, and when we started the company there, Andrew, the, um, one thing that we discovered is that there are no good quality metrics. So how do we measure quality and how do we benchmark against competition? And there we developed a, a metric called the unit Q score, which basically measures how much of your public feedback data refers to a quality issue. So if your score is 100, that means you have no quality issues referenced in, in the public domain. If your score is 80, it means that 20% refers to a quality issue. And what we've done is we have, we've actually indexed the 4,000 largest apps out there. So if you go to our website, unitq.com, you can find the unit Q score and we, we ingest every app review and other public data and every midnight we republish the scorecard pages. So you can actually see how quality is trending on a daily basis for the 4,000 largest apps out there. And, and, and it's, it's, that's been a very cool project to work on. And it's been illuminating for a lot of our 
companies go to Strava, which is a customer and say, Hey, how do you stack rank on quality against all the other uh, fitness apps out there? And the question typically, the, the answer is typically, we don't know. So like, you think quality is important? Yes. Okay. Let's figure out how you're doing. So there's a lot to unpack here, but I just love that we can come in and take a pre-existing data asset that the company already has and apply some really amazing machine learning technology and, and product, and then get signals to the company of what may be broken right now. Yeah, that's excellent. I love the, the concept of the unit uh, Q score. I'm definitely going to check it out as well for myself and, and see where we stack up. Uh, and it, it makes a, a lot of sense. I think also that like previously, there was a study looking into sort of user acquisition in SaaS businesses. And at some points in a SaaS business's life cycle, at least 40% of user acquisition comes from word of, from the most, like the fastest growing companies. Uh, and essentially that comes back to what you're talking about in terms of the quality and the quality score of the product. And uh, if people uh, start like expressing bad opinions about it, like you said, they're a lot more vocal than uh, the good opinions and the outweigh. So uh, definitely the winners are the ones that are able to maintain that word of mouth, build that quality product that people want to talk about and want to share and interesting like and, uh, yeah go and, and andrew we've done studies on the unit q score so what happens when it goes up or down and we can direct you can almost describe you can describe churn rates as a function of the unit q score so if your unit q score is 70 versus 90 has a dramatic impact on in particular like mid to long-term retention but also, as you can imagine, the if your uh, unit Q score goes up, what happens is you have less support. One one case study we did with Lovu, which is a, a dating app out of Germany, within 30 days, they saw a 39% reduction in support touches just because they fixed 10 issues. A lot of these things, when we get in with the company, it's almost like shining a flashlight in a dark room because they, a lot of these things that get reported on a daily basis, uh, the organizations have brushed them off as a user error, or it's always been like that. And let's say password reset link not working. Maybe they signed up with the wrong whatever, or we don't believe that. Or, hey, my password reset email was never delivered. Well, wrong email they signed up with. And it's very easy for the organization to brush this off. And I think there's, there's, other, there's other issues with the, I call it the great barrier between uh, support marketing and, and product engineering. So support and marketing, a lot of times they will find what's going on. So they're like, Hey, I'm seeing something here. People are reporting it. And then they will take, let's say you work in support. You'll then take copy and paste two of the tickets from senders. You'll put it in a Jira ticket and say, Hey, seems like password reset link might be broken. Then you file a Jira ticket, you throw it over this barrier, and then it goes to engineering and product. And then you don't know what happens next. And engineering and product, they're going to say, Okay, great. Let's see. I have 2,500 Jira tickets that are open. And here we have a new ticket from support. They have two people reporting it. And we have a user base of 25 million people. Okay. I'm not going to take a look at it. So I think the, the, one of the main benefits we bring is that we were able to quantify this qualitative data so we can actually provide indisputable data for engineering, support, marketing, and products so that they can align around this. It will be, so with unit Q, we will basically show them, well, we had no one reporting password reset link broken until yesterday at 5 PM. And you can see that it's a nascent growing issue. Like it's growing 
And once the engineers see this, they will say, aha, this seems like it's a real bug. Let me jump on it. Another metric we developed is called time to fix, which is really time to resolution, if you will. So as an issue hits production and your users are starting to report it, how quickly on average will the companies fix these things? So if you were, then were to take all of our issues that we detect and you look at like the alert state and then to the okay state when things are normal again for each issue, how much time does that take? And what we've seen is that for the typical company, it gets cut in half, which is really cool. And why is that? It's because when you look at an issue leaking out, there, there are like three steps, I think, uh, of how you get that resolved. So first is detection. So first, the, the organization needs to understand that something is going on. And we've seen there that there can be a lag of days, sometimes weeks. With the case of Scout, with the Polish bug, it was uh, months until we discovered it. Yeah. So with, with, with our platform, you discover it, we detect it very early. So instead of having days, weeks, months, you'll get it within hours. So detection is, is contracted. And then the next piece is alignment. How do we align teams, engineering, and so forth to say, hey, you need to redirect resources right now. This is a three alarm fire. You need to fix it. So aligning when you have confusion, if engineering says, well, you have two examples, copy and paste. Can you go out and do some data research, gather data, get me a trend line, and then support have to do this data manual data gathering, and that takes days. And now we lost time. So with our platform, that sort of, that happens automatically. And then the last step is fixing the bug. So as an engineer, I love to get context. I love to know where is this happening on what platform on what device. So with, with our product, the engineer can see all the reviews, all the support tickets, all the tweets that talks about this particular bug that they're going to fix. So that makes it real, but also gives them metadata so they can reproduce the bug faster because a lot of times it's very hard to reproduce a bug. And if you can't reproduce it, then you can't fix it. So I think there, there's some real magic there. We're just breaking down the barriers, have a single source of truth. Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting as well, the median time to resolve, seeing that go down. And I see the nice way you actually have an easy way to quantify it if you have the historical history of support tickets and resolved issues. I, I just love it. And what I, I can also tell you a little bit about like the difference of building consumer company versus uh, now a SaaS company, which may be very typical. So when I did consumer, I'm like, oh, SaaS businesses look very compelling and interesting. You don't have to sell ads. So maybe I should do a SaaS business and, and now we're here. It, it is very different. One thing that's different, we have, we have incredible customers and, and people at these organizations using our product from like Pinterest to a Spotify, Klarna to, and we have app loving all their games. We were selected as their, the vendor for, for this activity, HelloFresh and a, like a, a Uber, a bunch of these really cool logos. What I get a kick out of is that we can meet with VP product or VP ops or uh, director of engineering or head of support or product managers, and we can get real solid input on our roadmap. And I just, and I think that's like a core difference between consumer and, uh, and SaaS that I've discovered that the feedback we get from our users are easier to take action on, because if a VP of engineering at Pinterest says, Hey, co consider building these three features, we will consider it very seriously. So a consumer, I found sometimes, uh, when it comes to feature requests can be very hard to get, uh, feedback on that. What should we build there? It's more about AB testing and, and what is uh, the value of it and how you attach in, in B2B. It's a lot easier to, I think, attach 
weight as well to uh, different size customers and things like that because you obviously do have a much bigger parity in terms of the the amounts people are paying as well and the contract yes. sizes and the user base and yeah. And by the way, of course, the secret and, and trick to SaaS businesses is the same as with consumer. No churn, right? You don't want to have any churn. And that's also something where what, what we've seen is since we have a, it's really a cross-functional platform, right? So like one of our customers, we have 500 uh, accounts and now they're going to add a thousand accounts and it spans across support, product operations, product engineering, even marketing was not a team that we initially thought customer, but they, they love the insights they're getting there. We have user insights team on it, but as you can imagine, once you have mul multiple teams using it on a daily basis, and then you're hooking in deeper into the workflow. So we have a, a deep Jira integration. We have, we, we tag send us tickets with our collections and so forth. So you get very much, um, locked in, into the organization and like churn for us, we've lost one customer since we started. So then of course, now we, we need to fill more opportunities and customers uh, top of funnel and then convert them. But, but same thing there, it's that, that pancake that keeps building year after year after year after year. So if you have net revenue retention over a hundred, then the existing customers are going to expand year over year and you keep adding more customers and then, and then it gets very interesting. So I, I would say SaaS is more predictable, at least for much more predictable. And I would say maybe at, at least maybe a bit, little bit less stressful because we don't have, you know, at Scout, we had millions of users every day and you need to moderate the community picture moderation and bad actors and so forth. And the SaaS feels more predictable and you can build out the roadmap in conjunction with your customers and just keep delivering and have a customer first approach and good things will happen there. Yeah, I definitely see that as well. Having been in like B2C product before and B2B, the predictability is there and uh, you alluded to it, but the holy grail in, in SaaS is really getting that ne negative attention and having that flywheel continue to grow. Yeah. Um, and we see it as well in the public markets, the multiples that like SaaS businesses are getting now. I think more and more investors are realizing the value of uh, predictability and what it means to have a business that knows how to retain customers. Yeah. We're running out of time. So I want to save a couple of questions, ask every guest. Uh, what's, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario. All right. So you join a new company, Turner Retention is not doing great at this company. The CEO comes to you and says, hey, Christian, you need to turn things around. You're in charge. You've got 90 days. Uh, I'm going to ask you, what do you do? But there's a catch. You're not going to tell me I'm going to go speak to customers or look at feedback and see what the biggest problem is and start there. You're just going to take something you've seen that's been effective in reducing churn at a previous company, and you're going to run with that playbook blindly. What would you do? Okay, so can we can leverage existing data assets, but we can't create new ones. Uh, is that correct? Neither can... existing data assets as well. Just pick something that you've seen that's been really effective at reducing churn. Okay, I would say the approach I always took to churn, but now we have to use existing data. So you know, it's looking at user feedback and what are they talking about, and can we get something from there? The other one is, can I find, how does it look like? What is the profile and what happened to a cohort of users that got, that had amazing retention. Is there something special there? Did something happen in the experience? Like at Scout, we had, if someone had a two-way conversation within the first three minutes of using the app, we saw a 70% increase in second-day retention. So there's stuff there. So maybe, yeah. So what, what I would say is like, obviously the first user experience needs to be amazing. So I would, that, so that's what I would really look at. If you look at 
the decay function of churn. For some companies, you, if you forklift, if you like lift up a second day retention, then it will forklift the entire curve. So like your 360 day retention will have the same sort of lift. For some products, that's not the case, but I would start with obsessing over uh, second day return rates and, and try and lift that up. Back in the day, that could mean maybe you could maybe send more notifications and stuff, but that ship has sailed. You got to be careful with how much you, you nag them. So I think obsess over the first minute, the first five minutes, the first 10 minutes of the user experience, make that perfect. And that can typically be a blind spot because in the company, we're, we already signed up for the product. There's no one in your company signing up every day and, oh, let me see how the first user experience is. So I think we uh, focus on the first, uh, the first few minutes of the user experience and use your instincts to then figure out, is there something here that's not connected? Yeah. We talk about this a lot on, on the show as well, like onboarding and the impact of it and how it compounds over time. And uh, especially there's been a few different cases where we chatted from Sean Klaus, like the experience at Atlassian, like a few different cases where it really came down to that sort of first initial experience and doubling down on making it perfect, which was a big step change for a lot of businesses. Last yes. question. Last question. What's one thing that you know today about churn and retention that you wish you knew when you got started with your career? That is very simple. And that is growth equals good retention. And early in my career, I obsessed over top of funnel. So how many, also we, we had a lot of focus on invites and virality and growth hacks and stuff like that. And there's no reason to do that if you don't have stickiness. If you're not in a scenario where you're dependent on network effects, that you have to build up a user base very quickly to get content created and stuff. But I think that's that the epiphany was don't focus on uh, top of funnel, focus on retention. And if you have a sticky product, guess what? You will figure out how to get users to come in. But if you don't have a sticky product, you have leaky buckets, the faster you fill in uh, more users in the bucket, the faster they are sip out in the holes. So uh, focus on making sure. And churn to me, Andrew, is, is really, churn rates are like, that's plus some engagement metrics, but that's the ultimate um, proof point of product market fit. And yeah. of course, if the churn curve hits the x-axis, you, you're going to churn out every user over time. You don't have a business. Yeah, so, you hit uh, the growth uh, ceiling at some point. And... Yeah, so fo focus on uh, retention and churn. Obsess over it. I think that's the biggest learning for me. Yeah, if you're running a subscription business and people are canceling their subscriptions, there's no business there. Exactly. Uh, Christian, it's been a pleasure having you today on the show. Is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with? Like anything they should be aware of or how can they keep up to speed with your work? Check out unitq.com and we would love to talk to you, of course. If you have lots of feedback data we see that if you have more than ten thousand pieces of user feedback data a month it you start to miss insights so if you have 50 tickets a day and, and three app reviews you can probably handle that uh, with with uh, with humans but once you reach ten thousand a month you're guaranteed to miss insights and those insights are critical so let's leverage that existing data asset the user base are already doing what they're doing every day producing all that great feedback so we got to start listening and, and tune in and use it to build a better product. Very cool. Thanks so much for joining and I uh, wish you best of luck now going forward into 2022. Thank you, Andrew. You too. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. 
to keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to Andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.